Welcome to the Herringay Education Partnership Brief. It's Monday, the 23rd of January. I'm Luke. And I'm Maya, and we're here to bring you up to date with what's happening in education. Here's what you need to know this week. Schools are being asked to prioritize attendance for certain groups of pupils and consider remote education during strikes, after the country's largest education union won a ballot for industrial action. The Department for Education has updated its Handling Strikes Action in Schools guidance, which we featured in last week's Monday Briefing. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan has raised the prospect of paying teachers in shortage subjects more during crunch talks over pay and strikes. However, union leaders reported once again that no progress was made during talks held last Wednesday. A survey of more than 70,000 pupils found that 1 in 10 pupils in England have missed school in the last six months because they have felt unsafe. Pupils reported being most likely to feel unsafe in corridors and playgrounds, mainly because of other children, but 13% said it was because of a teacher. Only 25% of those who felt unsafe spoke to someone at school. An official analysis shows 89% of all schools were judged to be good or outstanding at the end of 2022. 78% of schools previously judged as requires improvement have improved to good last term. The outcomes paint a positive picture of overall improvement for schools, according to Ofsted. This week's Deep Dive. James Page and Estelle Morris at the upcoming AEPA conference. On the 10th of February, the Area-Based Education Partnerships Association is hosting its annual conference called Leading Education Locally. The conference will take place at the Quorum Conference Center and will feature multiple speakers, including Bridget Philipson, Shadow Secretary of State for Education, Estelle Morris, Baroness Morris of Yardley and AEPA co-chair, and Dame Christine Gilbert also AEPA co-chair. The event will also include a panel with Sam Friedman, Maria Dawes, and HEP's very own James Page. For the deep dive today, we'll be sharing a part of a conversation that James had with Estelle Morris. The conversation covered multiple topics from politics to academization to area-based education partnerships, and we'll be publishing the entire interview on an upcoming episode of HEP Talks. The section we're about to play focuses on the schools bill and the white paper. Well, we can talk about the, um, the schools bill and the white paper a little bit, because um, I think it takes us on to that. Um, I think the first thing that might be really interesting, you know, I really enjoyed uh, and learned so much talking to you as the schools bill was going through the House of Lords um, before its eventual gutting and then demise. Um, uh, and I wondered, firstly, what you felt that kind of that process revealed about where we're up to. And you said the 2016 white paper also withdrawn. Yeah. Um, when that became schools bill. Um, and, you know, is it even possible to do the politics of education these days? Well, what was, what was interesting about um, the schools bill? It started in the House of Lords, which is unusual for, for an important bill. And it started very quickly. They, I think it was rushed. I think they were short of legislation. And what you realise, and this is a real problem with politics, I don't think the DfE had any um, historic memory. I don't think that was their problem. 
they were trying to solve a problem that they saw happening now. And that was that some academies weren't doing what they meant to do and were getting into difficulties. So they produced a bill that solved those problems without any back memory of what it was all about. And the problem for them, the House of Lords, for all its quirkiness and weaknesses, does have back, does have back memory. So, you know, you've got quite a few, I don't in the debates, you'd have five, six, seven education ministers contributing who said, but look, you're doing that, but this is what was set up. And what the bill actually did, it was it created a whole new school structure because in order to solve the difficulties that they felt some academies were having, they made all academies change. They were going to make all academies change. And once you make all academies change, they're not the original academies any longer. And then if you say everyone's got to be one of these academies, you've abolished maintained schools. So what they'd ended up doing, and I genuinely think they didn't realise this, in order to solve the problems they felt a few academies had, they were actually creating a whole new category of school. And there were too many people with battling on too many sides for them to ever find a way through that. It wasn't solvable. And um, so they had to let it go. Um, and that, that, that's true in politics. It's very difficult sometimes to, I don't understand, it's difficult to write a law that only does what you want and doesn't have some intended, unintended consequences. It's really, really difficult. You can't say, this law's for that school down the road. It doesn't work like that. But unless you take the powers, you can't make anybody do it. And so the argument usually goes, ah, yes, well, we won't use the powers unless we've got to. And uh, politicians are too wily to let that happen because, you know, they might not use the powers unless they've got to, but you don't know what future politicians would do. So it is difficult. I think my view is that we should stop where we are and say, this is why I'm so in favour of partnerships like your partnership, that we should stop where we are and say, what is it we've learnt over 30 years that we can all agree on, that we wouldn't want to vanish, that we wouldn't want to change? What is it we've not got in place? Let's put it in place. I think, my, I think the argument now about whether a school's a grant-maintained school or a maintained school, I don't think it's the biggest discussion point. If we can find a way of working together, no matter what they are, bringing them together, no matter what their governance is, I think it takes the heat out of the grant-maintained local authority um, discussion. And that means that each local area is different depending on where it is at the moment. So in some local authorities, we'll be freezing that when nearly everyone's an academy. In some local authorities, we'll be freezing it when hardly anyone's academy. And we've got to get over that and say, well, it doesn't matter. It's not the most important thing. We, one thing we have learned is changing structure to be an academy. It doesn't guarantee success. So let's not keep looking to it as the thing that will raise standards. And that's why, you know, the, the thing that has got squeezed out over 30 years has been that recognition of place with the demise of the local authorities' powers there's no one there that holds the ring for schools and what we do know is whatever their differences what all the schools in Harringay share is that they teach Harringay's children and there's got to be something that enables them to discharge that responsibility to cheat to, to to together 
teach how to engage children. And that's why you get a partnership that everyone can belong to and get on, don't matter what they are, let them sort out their governance arrangements separately. And you bring it together around the knowledge of, we know we're stronger if we work together and we've got a joint responsibility for how to engage children. I think if we can move that debate on and give a, almost give ourselves a fresh start, we don't have to finish the old journey of all academy or all maintained. We don't, have to, we don't have to complete that journey. We can take a side road. And I think partnerships enable us to take that side road, which I think will, I don't think it's second best either. I actually think we can end up having the best of the reforms of the last 30 years in terms of more teacher autonomy and school independence. But, um, you know, correcting some of the errors we've built into the system. That was a snippet of a conversation between HEP Chief Executive James Page and Estelle Morris, co-chair of AEPA. As a reminder, both of them will be speaking at the AEPA conference on the 10th of February, so make sure you get your tickets. We've included a link to the event in the show notes. Also, the full conversation between James and Estelle will be released on HEP Talks, this podcast, in the coming months. So stay tuned. This week at HEP. On Tuesday, we'll be hosting the Head Teachers Breakfast at HEP HQ from 8.30 a.m. At 9.30 a.m., we'll also be joined by Anne Smallberger for early writing. And later that day at 3.45 p.m., Lucy Spreckley will be hosting the Primary English Network. On Thursday, we'll be joined by Sue Cave for mapping progression in primary languages from 1.30 p.m. And at 4 p.m., Jess Rennie will be with us online to deliver what does disciplinary knowledge look like in geography. Sign up for these sessions on the HEP Booking Hub. This week, we've been watching Prepping for Hybrid Education Future from Hole and IQ on YouTube. Since COVID, hybrid education has been on the rise, and Class In is a leader when it comes to delivering an online classroom experience. Watch the video to hear Ted Mo Chen talk about what Class In can do at this summit hosted by Hall and IQ. This week, we've been listening to Fresh Ed episode 204, Education Development and the Future of Curriculum with Mansetza Morope. This episode from 2020 still holds relevance today as Dr. Mansetza Morope, the Director of the International Bureau of Education, joins Will Brem to talk about a competence-based curriculum that can support the attainment of the Education 2030 agenda. This week, we've been reading Calm Leadership, Developing a Sense of Perspective by Patrick Cozier. All this year in SecEd, Head teacher Patrick Cozier is writing about his approach to headship, which he has termed calm leadership. In his second article of nine, he focuses on leadership of self and how we can retain a vital sense of perspective. That's it for our Monday, 23rd of January, HEP Brief. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, share on social media, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This brief has been written and produced by Maya Cardwell and Luke Kemper. Music by Shane Ivers. We'll see you next week.